What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, I'm Chloe Gio, and you're listening to On God's Campus, Voices from the Queer Underground, a podcast about white Christian supremacy and being queer on the most conservative campuses in the country. Think of me as your guide and translator as we explore the carefully constructed subculture of religious education. Joining me are co-hosts Paul Carlos Southwick, our resident legal expert and historian, and Aaron Green, our biblical scholar, What you will find here is a roadmap to change from the underbelly of the church's best-kept secrets. Before we start, I want to give you a warning that the beginning of this episode discusses suicide. If listening to this heavy material might not be good or helpful for you right now, feel free to skip ahead about 10 minutes in the podcast, and you can listen to the rest of the story from there. Let me take you to Boston. It's October 3rd, 2014. I'm attending the Christian Legal Society and Council for Christian Colleges and Universities Joint Conference. You may not have heard of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. I hadn't heard of them either before enrolling at my Christian college. We'll call them the Council for short. They are a powerful industry group that represents nearly 200 anti-LGBTQ plus Christian colleges mostly in the United States, but also all over the world. Paul snuck into one of their conferences nearly 10 years ago. I arrive at the hotel in Boston and keep a low profile. I hope that nobody recognizes me. Sitting in a hallway outside of an open door to one of the conference rooms, I hear one of the leaders of the council talk about the time they were a high-level administrator of a Christian college. They said that while they were the president of one of the council colleges, seven students tried to harm themselves. Of those seven, they said that four of them were struggling with their sexuality. They then said that they resolved to themselves that, quote, no one is going to die on my watch, end quote. I only wish that were true. But the truth is that they are letting us suffer. And yes, letting some of us die on their watch. We are not making this up. They want to keep our stories hidden. But that's hard to do when we have the internet and social media. So 
let's take a hard look at the evidence. It's not an easy road to go down, but if you feel safe going there with me, I want to take you to eight years and 500 miles from that Christian college conference Paul was attending in Boston to a small Christian college outside of Toronto, Canada. Redeemer University is part of the Reformed tradition and emphasizes the sovereignty of God and authority of the Bible. Its motto is, quote, the Lamb of God, the King of all. Like all schools within the Council, Redeemer University opposes equal rights and dignity for LGBTQ students based on its religious beliefs. In 2021, Redeemer fought and won a legal battle allowing it to access government money from the federal government of Canada, despite the university's opposition to same-sex marriage. That was a year before tragedy struck the campus, a tragedy that many people predicted was coming. Beckett, a trans student on campus, had spent years advocating for queer, trans, and non-binary students at Redeemer University. They met with university staff about daily microaggressions queer students faced. They helped form an unsanctioned club for LGBTQ2S plus students. The 2S stands for Two-Spirit. Two-Spirit is an umbrella term used across the U.S. Native American and Canadian First Nations to describe members of the communities who fulfill a traditional third gender or other gender variant ceremonial and social role in their cultures. Beckett worked with the university president to create the campus's first gender-neutral bathroom. But in an email to the campus community, Beckett said that school officials were unwilling to change their culture, even though it was harming queer students' mental, physical, and spiritual health. Redeemer University is one of the Council's own institutions, one of those no-one-is-going-to-die-on-my-watch institutions. But on November 23, 2022, while in a student counseling center office at Redeemer University, Beckett took their own life. Beckett was not alone in their despair. Other queer, trans, and non-binary students at Redeemer called their time at the university the darkest period of my life, or thought Beckett could have been me. Other graduates created the Rainbow Report, a collection of nearly 40 stories from LGBTQ2S plus current and former Redeemer students. The Rainbow Report describes a university whose culture instilled utter lonely agony in its LGBTQ2S plus students. Students and alumni presented the Rainbow Report to administration in 2020, two years before Beckett died. Redeemer University's administration knew the risks, but chose not to act. The Council knows the risks to students at its member institutions and chooses not to act. Beckett sent an email at the time of their suicide that called out religious colleges with anti-LGBTQ2S plus policies for failing to protect their students 
and for depriving them of proper counseling services. Beckett stated that the counseling services provided by an LGBTQ2S plus affirming health network were, quote, a lifeline for them. But when the school changed its service provider to the Christian Counseling Center, the lifeline, in Beckett's words, got cut with no talk about how it might be able to exist again. And that was the beginning of the end. Beckett wrote a final message, a message that the council and every Christian school and college doesn't want, but needs to hear. Beckett wrote, quote, It didn't have to come to suicide to lose a student, but it did. Don't let it happen again. I raised Beckett's suicide directly with the attorneys for the council. I brought it up to them because they wanted to introduce evidence into our case, the Hunter versus Department of Education case we talked about in the last episode, about how the counseling services provided at council institutions were actually safe and beneficial for queer, trans, and non-binary students. I asked the council's attorney if they knew about the Redeemer University students' recent suicide and how they could square their purported evidence with this loss of life. In response, one of the attorneys said, it would not be the first time that someone killed themselves in their therapist's office. I can't help but feel like that is a bitterly cold response, even from someone deep on the inside of the white Christian nationalism machine. The council's attorney's statement shocked me. But instead of backtracking or expressing sympathy for the student, the council's attorney dug in deeper. He tried to absolve non-affirming religious colleges of their culpability for student suicides by blaming the victims themselves. He did so by bringing up the recent mass killing at Club Q in Colorado, where a shooter murdered five people at a queer club. The Club Q killings occurred only a few days before Beckett's suicide. The council's attorney said that the Club Q murders were unfairly being blamed on religious conservatives. The conservative religious organizations were not to blame, and emphasizing that the killer was non-binary, implying that the LGBTQ plus community itself is to blame for the horrific acts of violence at Club Q. But the truth of the matter is that we are not to blame. Queer, trans, two-spirit, and non-binary people are not born hating themselves. We are taught to hate ourselves. We are taught to hate ourselves by people who say they love us and that God loves us, but who use misinterpretations of the Bible to shame us. Some people are just repeating to us what they were taught by their own parents, pastors, or priests. Others know better, but continue to feed messages of hate to their followers. At this point in history, the teaching of that hate is primarily coming from white Christian conservatives. And as a biblical scholar, I can tell you that the hate they are teaching is not found in the biblical text. It is not even taught by most biblical scholars at their own institutions. But the council and its attorneys are protecting this hate, even when it has deadly consequences. The council should own up to its responsibility for the deaths of LGBTQ plus youth at its institutions. 
Rather than teaching students to hate themselves or to be ashamed of their identities, their bodies, and their relationships, religious colleges can and should teach queer, trans, and non-binary students to love themselves, to celebrate their identities and their bodies, and to cherish their relationships. This is what a new generation of youth are demanding of their churches, their parents, their denominations, and their schools. They want to love themselves and to be loved by their religious communities, but they are having to fight for it with everything they've got. So far, I've been your narrator. But like Aaron and Paul, I too went to one of these Christian colleges last year. And this is my story. I grew up in the heartland, in a mid-sized town in central Kansas. I was raised in a deeply Christian home. I spent as much time at church as I did my house. My faith is something that has always been important to me, and it continues to be. Like Chloe, most LGBTQ students at Christian colleges deeply value their faith. At that council conference I snuck into, the council even acknowledged that. I remember them saying that students could go to other schools, but they choose council schools, regardless of sexual orientation or gender identity, because they want to connect their values with their education. But this is not everyone's story. Most stories are more nuanced, full of contradictions and complexities. Despite deeply valuing my faith, when I was applying to college during my senior year of high school, I didn't want to go to a Christian school. You know, one of the most consistently frustrating things that anyone can say to a queer person at a Christian college is, well, why did you go there? And listen, I get why people think that. I mean, kind of. I knew the stereotypes associated with Christian colleges, and that's why I didn't want to go. But the reality is that things aren't so black and white. And when I was looking for schools to apply to, Seattle Pacific University checked all of my boxes, even though it was a Christian school. And then I visited, and I fell in love. The admissions counselor told me all about SPU's commitment to diversity and how the school was changing and becoming more inclusive. And I bought in. Many Christian colleges, like SPU, mislead students into believing that even if they are not fully affirming of LGBTQ plus people, they will be safe and accepted there. Their marketing is slick and appealing, but it is deceptive. For the first couple years of college, my experience was as advertised by the school. SPU wasn't exactly like a lot of other Christian colleges at the time. So far, we've talked a lot about colleges with explicitly conservative views, but SPU wasn't like that, at least on the surface. I remember attending a rally for abortion rights during my first quarter there, led by professors. And during my freshman year, I went to several LGBTQ protests, and the school eventually removed any language that discriminated against queer students from the handbook. I thought that was the end of it. For a conservative Christian school that is part of the council, this change of policy is remarkable. Not many schools have dropped prohibitions for LGBTQ students like this, and the few that have done so for their employees are kicked out or leave the council. 
But looking back now, all of these things that made SPU appeal to me, they're what made SPU a threat to white Christian supremacy. And ultimately, they're what doomed it. Things started going downhill during my junior year. In January of 2021, a news article came out about how a professor at SPU was suing the school for denying him a full-time position because of his sexuality. This was news to me. I had no idea that the school had an active policy stating they wouldn't hire queer people. Most people didn't because the school hid it. And to be honest, I didn't even know that was something you were legally allowed to do. It shouldn't be, but it often is. This was when classes were still online due to COVID, but still, there were several smaller protests that year demanding that this hiring policy change. Something that's important to know about SPU is that it is very queer and very queer friendly, or at least it was at that time. It's a liberal arts school in the middle of Seattle, for God's sake. We had a running joke that people would go to SPU as a conservative Christian and leave as a queer leftist. A large majority of both faculty and students believe that the school should hire queer employees. I mean, I was a theology major, and I never took a single class that taught me anything other than to love and affirm queer folks. We thought the decision was obvious. Even at the most conservative Christian colleges in the South, faculty are often queer-affirming. But they walk a fine line because they are not protected by tenure or employment non-discrimination laws. Many who speak out are fired. So faculty and staff often act as quiet allies, supporting and offering safe spaces for LGBTQ students from behind the scenes. But sometimes something big happens on campus, like a gay nursing professor being denied a job at SPU. That can bring all the tensions out into the open. Turns out, changing our school's discriminatory employment policy wasn't as obvious to everyone. And our school's board of trustees, who hold all of the decision-making power for the university, voted not to change the policy in 2021. But I, as well as most of the campus population at that time, wasn't going to take no for an answer. And that's when things really blew up. Like many overachievers, I was in student leadership, and I was a student government officer during my senior year. There were four of us in student government, and we were a pretty good encapsulation of a white evangelical school's worst nightmare. Four black and brown femme-presenting students who were passionate about queer issues. It was probably the first time the student government didn't have any white men, which should have been a sign of what was to come. And we had one goal, end this discriminatory hiring policy. Wouldn't be too hard, right? I had never been involved in organizing before, but I sure got a crash course that year. Fighting to change a policy at a Christian university looked like a lot of different things. It looked like publicly challenging our newly appointed university president to a student forum on queer rights during the third week of school. 
It also looked like organizing a concert with queer Christian artist Semler. It looked like partnering with the school's psychology program to organize a campus-wide survey on LGBTQ issues, giving us statistical evidence that the majority of the school supported changing these policies and that the policy was having a negative effect on students' mental health. It looked like finding the chair of the board of trustees on LinkedIn so we could set up a meeting and talk to him directly. As a campus organizer who has led similar efforts at Biola University and Azusa Pacific University and seen many efforts at religious campuses across the country, I can tell you that what Chloe and the other SPU students did is nothing less than heroic and monumental. We did so many things, tried so many strategies. We worked with the Board of Trustees. We protested against the Board of Trustees. We were called aggressive and unprofessional to our faces and praised by others. We did scientific surveys and we had theological justifications. The university commissioned an entire work group that formally recommended that changing the policy was the best course of action for the school's future. But what I learned that year is that white Christian supremacy is a disease and it will not stop spreading until it has infected an entire institution. And this, my friends and listeners, is what is happening at your friendly neighborhood Christian preschool, your local Christian college, and your kids' Catholic high school. White Christian supremacy is spreading right under our noses. And almost nothing can stop it. The Supreme Court of the United States has given Christian schools carte blanche, to discriminate against their own students, and to fire any faculty member, teacher, or administrator who dares to get in their way. Tenure won't stop them. Accreditation requirements won't stop them. Civil rights laws won't stop them. After this whole year of collective organizing at SPU, it all came down to the Board of Trustees. And in a move that, in retrospect, would forever change the direction of the university, the board once again decided not to change the discriminatory hiring policy. We were devastated. And what unfolded next is what happens when you come against a bunch of 22-year-olds with underdeveloped prefrontal lobes who are stubborn, right, and very organized. And in less than 24 hours, we had put together an all-campus walkout and a sit-in outside the president's office that would end up lasting 40 days. Here's some audio from day one. All right, everyone, the way that this is going to work, um, right now we're just gonna do another chant and then we'll let a few people stay, but other people can go if they need to. But there are these QR codes that are going around and they are the sign up for the ships for this. And we need people to consistently be in here, so please sign up for one or more if you can, okay? Thank you so much for helping us make this happen. This is our campus and we've got it, okay? Yeah. Yeah. All right. We want gay staff! We want gay staff! We want gay faculty! We want gay faculty! We want gay staff! We want gay staff! The goal is to get as much fucking media attention as possible because we're Gen Z and the best thing that we can do is go viral. <laughs> This is our hallway. We can do whatever we want. 
For 40 days, students, alumni, professors, and employees occupied the hallway outside of the president's office. We crowdfunded for supplies. We received donations of food, sleeping mats, and anything else we would need. People saw us on TikTok or Instagram and came from across Seattle to support us. It was both the most loved I have ever felt and the most exhausted I've ever been. But even with our sit-in and the international media attention it brought, the board refused to change the policy. So we did what many civil rights activists before us have done. We went to the courts. We filed a lawsuit against several of SPU's board members on September 12th, 2022. We even threw a happy lawsuit day party in the middle of campus. Imagine hundreds of students and professors with party hats and streamers passing around a 50-page legal document. It was quite a sight. We accused these board members of breaching their fiduciary duties, and we accused them of defrauding us. Here's some audio from one of the speeches that day. Hi folks, can you hear me okay? Um, hello, my name is Ray. I'm queer, my pronouns are they, them, hello. I'm also a plaintiff on this lawsuit against the Board of Trustees. I've been trying to figure out what I want. And we're bringing this lawsuit forward so that they have to be aware of us so that there's no more walking past us down the hallway of the second floor of Demeray as we're sleeping to go into their offices. But we aren't just here fighting for this institution, or for the students and the faculty and staff members that make up SPU, that are presently fighting alongside us here. We are here for the past, present, and future queer people at this university. And we are here so that students and faculty and staff members of other Christian campuses across the nation do not have to hide anymore. We are here to challenge the norm, to challenge religious extremism, to challenge white supremacy, to challenge this misuse of power. We are here to kick the shit out of this system and to put an end to it so that it ceases. And kick the shit out of the system they did. In the court hearing for the case, hundreds of students, faculty, and staff packed the courtroom. It was overflowing and people had to sit outside in the hall. Hundreds more watched online. I've never seen anything like it. The energy in the room and the facts of the case were on our side. But the legal issues were tricky. And in the current legal climate, with the Supreme Court that now consistently sides with white Christian supremacy, we knew it was not going to be an easy fight. In the end, we won part of our case at that hearing, but we lost most of it. And we ended up settling with the board members over the summer of 2023 because they threatened us with having to pay their legal fees. Yes, you heard that right. They threatened their own students with legal fees. But we don't regret it. We've forever left a mark and a permanent court record of the board's misdeeds and our fight to save our school. We formed a community. And we are here for the next generation, 
who will continue to bring the fight. As Ray said when ending their Happy Lawsuit Day speech, And today just marks another beginning. And I am grateful to have you all here because the chaos is not over. Now you have heard Chloe's story of student activism at Seattle Pacific University. You've heard my story at George Fox University. You've learned about the racist, anti-black history of religious exemptions to civil rights laws. You've learned about the origins of REAP, the Hunter lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Education, and the pressing need for things to change on our campuses now. Not in 10 years, but now. And you've heard my story at Biola and Azusa Pacific University. You know that change is possible, not inevitable and not handed down to us as a gift, but achieved through organizing, through speaking our truth, and through working together. So, what do you do now? Now, you rise up. Now, you fight back. It's time for a revival in our communities. A revival based on racial justice, reproductive justice, and justice for the LGBTQ community. Beloved students, rise up. Rise up like Kaylee at Lincoln Christian University. Rise up like Elizabeth at Bob Jones University. Rise up like Chloe at Seattle Pacific University. Speak your truth. Share your story on social media. Start a protest. Beloved faculty and staff, rise up. Rise up like the faculty and staff at SPU. Our faculty and staff had our backs for our student movement. It made it safer for us to come out and to cause good trouble on our campus. Our faculty filed an accreditation complaint. They formed committees. They joined our lawsuit. They put rainbow flags in their offices. Tell your department chairs, your university presidents, and your boards that you can no longer tolerate their policies of exclusion that cause harm to your LGBTQ students and colleagues. Tell your professional associations and accreditation bodies that your institutions are not living up to their stated values of diversity, inclusion, student safety, and academic freedom. Beloved alumni, rise up. Queer alumni groups exist at Christian colleges all across the country, from BYU to Baylor to Bob Jones University. You can find a list of active groups on REAP's website. Share your stories through social media or blog posts, and write open letters to your campus communities. Beloved allies, including those who might not be part of one of these campus communities, rise up with us. You can donate to our cause, sign our online petitions, or email a religious school or college in or near your community asking them to support LGBTQ students. Spread the word about REAP and the youth-led resistance to white Christian supremacy to your friends, families, and especially your churches. We need each other. We need all of us. Students, faculty, staff, alumni, community members, 
to bring revolution and revival to our campuses. Sitting quiet, praying, and hoping for the best are not going to cut it anymore. We need action. We need you to act. And we have the tools, the community support and visibility to help you help us dismantle the systems of queer oppression and white supremacy that have infected our schools, colleges, and denominations. REAP offers free resources on our website, including guides like how to be an ally and how to organize on campus. We'll put these links to the resources in the show notes. Ultimately, we, the people, get to decide how much power we let institutions have over us. We get to say no to power when it is abusing us. And we have the freedom to bring change through nonviolent social action in creative ways that the powers that be never saw coming. Join us as we unleash our most powerful form of resistance yet, a revival and revolution for human rights and democracy from the inside of God's campuses all across the land. If you want to be a part of this history-making movement, visit us at www.thereap.org. Click on the ACT icon and select Invite Reap to your campus. And tell us your story. It's your greatest power, something they can't take away. And subscribe to On God's Campus to keep listening. Well, our four-part narrative series has come to a close. On God's Campus is bringing you four more episodes of engaging interviews with experts on white Christian nationalism, religious education, and progressive theology including fresh insights from Bradley Onishi, Andrew Seidel, Tori Douglas, and Kaylee Hargrove. Thanks for tuning in to On God's Campus, Voices from the Queer Underground. I'm your narrator, Chloe, alongside co-hosts Paul Carlos Southwick and Aaron Green. This podcast is a product of the Religious Exemption Accountability Project and is produced by Crystal Cheatham from Our Bible App. Listen next time as On God's Campus examines the lessons history has to teach us about where predominantly white Christian educational institutions and the political machines backing them are taking the country now. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.